Thank you for being here tonight. We are uh, beginning a series on heresy, deception heresy. The, the foundation, the need for this is that we're living in an age of, 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 of a wide variety of teaching, living in a, a, a culture that we would say is relativism. Uh, we're actually the only heresy that we would have in our culture, some would say, is to say that such a thing is heresy, meaning you can't call anything heresy. And if you call something heresy, you're the heretic for judging someone else's, you know, their own truth. And that's fine and dandy for you want to live in your culture, every culture. I mean, the church began in the Roman Empire. Daniel ministered and worked in the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar. So, you know, we, we do have to make, uh, have to, you know, have an influence on our culture. We have to be concerned about our nation, our government. But at the same time, uh, we're, we're running on two different levels here. We're, we're talking about the kingdom of God and holding to a truth that is eternal. Meanwhile, we're living in a temporal world that's, you know, got all kinds of different viewpoints and people and religions. And, you know, depending on your theology, <laughs> depending on your views of Scripture, are you going to convert the entire world to Christianity and there's going to be some world government? Or are we waiting for Jesus Christ to return and set up the kingdom? And, of course, now we're into eschatology and different views of eschatology. Uh, but it does talk about the in the Bible about in the last days there'll be great deception. We know right away from the beginning... Uh, if you go through the Titanic Faith book, uh, and it's, it's throughout the scriptures, but the, the apostles and Jesus warned of false teachers that were coming. And then as the church began to spread, you see Paul and Peter and the apostles that are dealing with the false teachers, trying to stop the false teachers and call out, sometimes calling them by name, their personal name. Stay away from these two guys. This person is an heir, dealing with the heretics. And by the time you get to the end of the first century and John is writing, he's talking as if churches have been taken over by heretics and John and his teaching are no longer allowed in that church uh, and that's not America in 2024. That's not the Western Church or the Protestant Reformation against the Catholic Church. That's John's church in Asia Minor or churches that he's dealing with. And so heresy was something that began early on, and now we're going to have to kind of talk about it, and I'll give you some definitions tonight. One of the first things to begin with this is this concept, and this is important, and this, this rocked and has rocked the, uh, uh, the seminaries, the Christian world, your teachers, your pastors, they've all been affected by this at some level and have just gone along with it or have put up roadblocks and says, no, that's not true. Uh, and that is, what we just got in finishing Jude, where Jude says, uh, I, was, I felt I needed to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith, the faith, that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Now, this is Jude writing. You know, we, we put the date, I think it was like somewhere 55, 60 A.D., something like that. But early in the church, first century, uh, it would be Jesus, one of Jesus' brothers, and he's talking to the church already in the midst of the first century that you already have the faith, and you need to contend for the faith because people are coming in and trying to change it. So this is already established. Now, what I was going to say, uh, coming out of the 1800s and out of Germany and then had proponents throughout the 1900s and even proponents today even in a more sense, especially in our relative society, is this, that they say this doesn't really happen. That they talk that Christianity started 
you know, like all these different groups kind of heard about Jesus here and they heard something about that. And this was a group over here in Egypt and this is a group in Asia. This is over here in, uh, uh, you know, towards Babylon. And they had their views, you know, and these guys thought Jesus was a man and God came on him and gave him the Holy Spirit. These people thought, you know, he was uh, just a spirit that wasn't really a man and they had their idea. And then some thought he died on the cross as a great example. Some thought he died for the sins of the world. And no one really knows. These are all just, you know, little branches of Christianity. And this is like, now this is 60 A.D., now it's 100 A.D. And as they converge, it's like, you know, especially in the Roman Empire, the Roman world, they want their, their military all lined up. They want their people in the right positions. They want things organized. You're going to rule an empire, you want it organized, and everybody's on the same page. So as this moved through the Roman Empire, and you've got everybody's like, well, here's what we believe, here's what we believe, well, who cares, who cares, as long as we all just love each other. Uh, this, now, this is not true. This is what some people want you to believe, is how Christianity evolved out of a bunch of different opinions. And it's really convenient if you want to believe that today, because you've got groups that are what we call fundamental You've got some groups that are the conservative, uh, the, the inspired text of Scripture, that this is the faith that was handed down once for all to the saints, and we need to hold on to this because people are going to try to change this. Like Paul told the leaders at Ephesus, when I go, I know people are going to rise in among you and, and, and take you different ways like, 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 like uh, ferocious wolves. Now, that, that, that's what I think happened. I was saying, oh, no, if you believe that, you're... You're a heretic, or whatever they want to call you. You're closed-minded. You want everyone to be just like you. And what we need to do is return to a more of a freestyle Christianity is what God means to you. What's your truth? What's my truth? Maybe you're more of an Egyptian style. Maybe you're more of a Roman style. Maybe you feel Jesus is like in each one of us, or we're each God. Yeah, yeah, that's what Christianity originally was. But as Rome became, as, as the church began to grow in Rome, and Rome began to see this, they says, this is crazy. And they began to take over these groups. And they began to establish, this is the truth. This is what we believe. And as Rome went through that process in the 2nd and 3rd and 4th century, they eventually got everybody right here in what they call doctrine, the Orthodox Christian faith. And it was finally canonized. Now again, there's all kinds of Bible ver or scriptures and if they didn't like the scriptures, they threw them out. And they kept the books that they liked. And if they had a book they liked and didn't like something, they changed it. And they developed their own, this is it. And now, if you don't agree with this, we're going to excommunicate you. We're going to force you. And then now, coming into the six, seven, eight hundreds, now you've got Christianity. And here we are today. We just inherited what Rome established in this chaotic mess at the beginning. So when Jesus was t talking to now this is not true this is this is what i would say a damnable heresy this is a false teaching but you can see how it makes sense did i describe rome correctly yes did i describe that there was a difference in varieties of opinions well paul said jesus says look out the false teachers are coming we see Paul fighting against the false teachers. So were there false teachers and different ideas and heresies in 60 AD? 
Yes, but because there's different teachings, it does not mean the faith was not already once for all entrusted to the saints. What they would, the, the enemy would say in this, in this illustration, that it wasn't until 400 A.D. that finally the faith was voted on and established. The Bible teaches the faith was once for all uh, given to you right here. Jesus taught that. The apostles taught that. The Bible reads like that. It's not like they don't know. It's they know, and they're losing ground. And so this is a fallacy. Although there are elements of truth, you can define Rome. Rome-like things unified. Were there differences of an opinion? Was there a Gnostic group in Egypt? Was, a, was there a, a Docetic group somewhere in Asia? Was there these different, well, Corinth. They are totally sold out already by First uh, and Second Corinthians, sold out into Greek philosophy. They had already, in Corinth, in 55, 56 AD, Corinth had already given up on the physical resurrection. They're more like going just, it's spiritual, because that's what their Greek philosophy, so they heard Christianity, they take Christianity, okay, we accept it, and then they redefine it with their Greek philosophy. And Paul wrote a letter, and shut up, shut up, exactly, was there heresies in the first century? Yes, there was. Was Rome trying to unify? They always try to unify. We're all these, there's a truth to all of this, but to say that means there was no faith, there was no unity of the faith, is now saying we created Christianity instead of you were given Christianity or you were given the truth. And so that is a very important thing. The faith, and now I'm going to say this, because Christianity and churches are all about, how many times do you hear people talk about unity? We just need unity. Okay, now we don't want to just go off and start causing trouble in churches and, and causing commotion. And that's, that's actually going to be a form of division. You go in and start causing division, and that's a, a, a fleshly nature, and that's, that's a weakness, that's a sin. But now the other side would be, the main thing is we all have unity. Maintain unity um, for, for, by peace. We just want to get along. Now understand, these terms can be applied to, you don't just go in and start dividing up a group of believers and having them you know, argue about ridiculous things. And some people have that tendency. Or you aren't a person that brings in strife. You, I mean, we've all been the source of strife or been involved with being you know, affected by strife. So yes, we don't want to bring strife in and we don't want to bring division into a church. But understand, when it talks about and throughout these verses, when it talks about unity in the church, it's talking about unity of the faith. Meaning, you cannot say, we just all, I know, you don't think Jesus ever existed. Uh, you think Jesus was a, just a mere man, but he had a lot of good teachings to say. Uh, you think Jesus is God himself. Uh, and, but, but hey, you know, we all have our different views. Can we all just agree that the potato salad's pretty good today? It's like, yes, we can all, because we don't want these doctrinal things to divide us from our nice, unified, peaceful potluck. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because if you think Jesus was just a mere man and a good teacher, you are, okay, this is me teaching, you are not a Christian. 
Now, you can certainly join us and have potluck with us, and, and we'll minister to you, we'll talk to you, uh, fellowship with you in that level, but it's more of an outreach because you're either going to convert and accept Jesus Christ as the eternal God who was promised from the ancient days that was going to become a man and manifest and is today seated in heaven at the right hand of God as a man who is going to return to the earth as a physical resurrected man as God eternal. Or, you know, you could say a thousand things. It, 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 I, you just say, well, I just, don't, I just don't believe that. What I think, and then you want to start teaching, you're going to have to leave and take your potato salad with you. We, we can't have fellowship with that. Now, there's, there's outreach, but there's also slamming the door. No, you are not a Christian. And so that is what, when we talk about unity in this study, when we talk about unity, we're talking about unity in the faith. And someone that comes into the midst of Christians, into a church, and, and wants to change the faith. The truth that was once for all entrusted to the saints, what we have recorded in Scripture, that they want to change that, they're breaking the unity. They're bringing in division. And the thing is, watch this, well, they're not causing strife. They're a very nice person. In fact, I like, ta- they, they get along with everyone. Right, even Satan appears as an angel of light. Now, just now that we can pick out people that come in and they just bring strife. It's like, oh my gosh! Sometimes that's me, okay? And they just, just their very personality just starts uh, dividing people up. It's like, okay, we don't need that kind of strife. So, well, just put a smile on your face, get along with everybody, eat a little bit of everybody's potato salad, and just bring in your false doctrine. Well, they didn't bring in division. Yes, they did. They brought in division of another kind. They brought in doctrinal division. This class is not about the fruit of the Spirit. This is not about how to get along and reach out to people, how to function in the body of Christ. This is about heresy, and heresy is division, dividing and separating from the truth. If that, does that make sense? So, again, uh, when we say unity, we're not talking about getting along. We're talking about being on the same page. Everybody is in... Everybody is in this circle doctrinally. You believe this about Jesus. You believe this about God. You believe this about creation. You believe this about the text of Scripture. You believe these absolute, these are absolute doctrinal truths. Now, we're going to have to, and hopefully I get there tonight, there are going to be what we call the the non-essentials. We've got to make room for ignorance, and believe me, okay, just be honest. There's been times I've dabbled in heresy. Now, if anyone stands up and they're a Bible teacher and they've gone down the road, unless you were just indoctrinated in, in Sunday school and catechism and you have never left your denomination, you're just like straight line little soldier, like a little Roman soldier in your denomination, okay, 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 you probably never dealt with heresy, but you probably never thought outside the box. But there's been times where I look back at my life and you're trying to figure out how did God do this, and how is God, you know, in Jesus, but also being prayed to by Jesus, but he's also the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus. Well, you know, here's what I think. And then you realize, you know, years later, it's like, oh, what? You were dabbling in heresy. You're trying to figure out, answering some questions. And so there's times you may dabble in heresy, uh, 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 but you're, you're, you're not teaching it. But, but there's also ignorance, and there's people that are in ignorance. They just don't know. They've never thought about it someone can start talking to me about something that I've never really 
finalize. I've never really thought about. And my answer, even as a teacher, could involve ignorance. Now, that's a problem. That's why we keep teaching. We keep studying. Because at some point, if you don't think you're ignorant, there's some point you're going to be staring at something in a situation and you're going to be ignorant. There's also going to be uh, uh, non-essentials. Non-essentials. Uh, that things... Uh, it, 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 I know we, we agree, think about things differently. I'll give you some examples here in a moment. But it's like, really, we don't need to break unity over this. Uh, it, it can be an interpretation. We all agree the Word of God, the Scripture is the, the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God. Yes, we all agree. Okay, let's read this verse. Now, we each read the verse, and it's like, well, this is what it's saying. It's like, well, no, I think this is supporting this view right here. It's like, well, absolutely not. I, combine that with this verse, it's teaching this. It's like, uh-oh, now we've got differences of interpretation. Now, we, under, we agree with these basic things, but when we start taking Scripture and we start explaining it, and then you get into especially uh, things that we'd consider mysteries, if I could say it that way. Uh, or the mystical side of Christianity. A mystery would be end times. I mean, we got details. Uh, and, and, and is it literal details? Is it figurative and spiritual details? Is God saying it's going to be like this, but it's not going to be here, it's going to be somewhere else? Or is it like going to be here, exactly right here? Well, you can have three great teachers, three great Christians, three great people schooled in the faith. They're not ignorant. They are, they are studied, and they're all saying three different things. It's like, well, two of them are heretics. No, 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 there's a place where you're going to have this group and this group and this group, and they're not heretics. And it depends on, again, this would call, even me defining what is heresy and what is just the difference of an opinion is going to be controversial. Take infant baptism, just real quick, I've got a bunch of stuff I want to get to. Infant baptism, some people, uh, they, 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 they baptize babies. Now, I was baptized as a Presbyterian baby. But I was also born again at a, at, a, at a concert, a music concert, and wasn't baptized. I just got born again. I mean, my life changed. Well, then later in college, the pastor I was going to, a Baptist church, he says, have you ever been baptized? As well as a, as a child, but I've been born again. I've accepted Christ. I went forward. I said the sinner's prayer, and I'm, I'm a believer. Have you been baptized? No. Well, that's a big deal. So I had to get dunked in the water. Not sprinkled, but like immersed. Now, there are some groups, if we get, and again, boy, I'm way off subject, but this is an example, I'm going to say, not of heresy, but of an interpretation leading to a non-essential. I don't agree with that, but it's not, we're not going to break fellowship. We, can, we need to maintain, that's where you maintain the peace so we can maintain unity. Because if you start dividing on everything that you disagree with, it's just a matter of time that, that you're teaching a Bible study in your living room by yourself. Joke, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no one got that. It was, it's like, what? Okay, or maybe you did. <laughs> okay. But it's like, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to accept, because there's a place in baptism where people want to be, you should be dunked in the water forward, or you should be dunked in the water backwards. Well, I'd already been baptized as an infant. 
I'd already gone forward a couple of times. In fact, I broke my doctrine there. I got born again like four or five times. I got born again at one Christian concert. It was the highlight of my life. I went to another Christian concert and got born again again. I mean, I'm, I'm 16, 17 years old. The high, greatest thing in my Christian experience was accepting Christ. It's like, who doesn't want to do that a couple times? You know, so I did it. You know, it wasn't like I went over to join a Bible study and started being indoctrinated. I'm just like, the high, greatest thing was the music, the clapping, the, the altar call, the you want to be close to God? I sure do. So, and he must be up there. So I, I got saved several times. Uh, now, not liter, not not in, not in application, but in practice. So that was an example of ignorance. Uh, I would consider it non-essential. But then eventually, I got baptized by the Baptist pastor to make him happy. Well, then I end up in a Grace Brethren group where they wanted me to be the pastor, and I was excited because they were Bible. They 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 were in this whole. They were everything in this circle. Uh, they, we were on the same page. Except they believe in this thing called triune immersion. It's like, what's that? Well, that's the only way to heaven. You have to be baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And I had older people in my church that were convinced that if you weren't triune immersed, forget about infant baptism, if you're just dunked like a Baptist, one time, forward or backwards. You're not saved, because the Bible clearly says, and the Greek would break it down, they would do the Greek, in the name of the Father, and then baptize in the name of the Son, and baptize in the name of the Spirit. So to be the pastor of the church, guess what I had to do? Get try you and immerse. So it's like, got in the tank in front of the church, and got dunked three times. Welcome to Christianity. Okay, obviously the way I dealt with that, the way I'm talking about it, that's non-essential. I'm not going to break the unity. You want me to get dunked three times? I've already been dunked once by the Baptist. I already got saved where I thought I was saved at a concert. And the Presbyterian baptized me in 1960. And so uh, that would be an example of a non-essential. Now, some would say, again, if anybody's watching online or sitting in here thinking, oh my gosh, shut this off. This guy's a heretic. Uh, I'm just saying there's a wide range of views and are you going to start dividing on baptism? You're going to start dividing on the, the, the text uh, or the, the translation of the Bible? You're going, to start, you know, you're going to start dividing up. Do you think Jesus comes back before or after, during? Uh, I mean, you're going to end up alone. Okay. The faith was once for all entrusted to the saints, but there are things we're going to have to interpret. Now, here on this front page, go through these notes very quickly. I've got more notes because we haven't had class for four weeks. So, of course, I've got more notes, and I'm just getting started. Uh, and so you may want to uh, start making up excuses if you get tired of this and think this is not very interesting, because this could go on for a while. And this is just, this is nothing. Uh, in fact, I've got an idea of making it into a little booklet, putting a little binding on it like I did for Nehemiah. So, anyway, this, first of all, and you can tell right here, we we're going to be talking about 2,000 years of Christianity and heresies. And the reason we're doing this is not just to be smart and educated, but what goes around comes around. The same heresies you see in the first and second century, they're popping up a different name, a different disguise, rewritten and being presented on another platform. And the more ignorant the Christians are or the church is concerning the Word of God, the more they're willing to embrace a heresy and, and not identify it. And in our culture, 
who wants to point a finger and say, that's a heresy because, you know, we live in the world where you point with one, you got four fingers pointing back at you or something like that. You're the heretic for saying there's a heresy. And so uh, we've got a lot of ground to cover. And you see the title right here, Deception and Heresy, History, Identification, and Defeat, 60 to 110 A.D. This is just the first pages of the first section. Uh, if you understand, after 100 A.D. comes 200, 300, 500, 1900s, and then today, and then we can just spend weeks on today's heresies. All right, and well, the things that is, and again, I'm going to have some church history in here that I, 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 I think you'll enjoy it. I, I hope you will. I'll find out. Um, but right across, I've got this, you've got the dates going right across the middle, 60, 80, 100, 120 A.D. This is kind of like a timeline. When we look down here at the bottom where it says heretics and heresies, this is really what we want to look at. But instead of jumping right in there and just start talking about these people, looking above is the world that they lived in. And the first, the her first heresies that we've got underneath 60 A.D., I've got the Judaizers, and the heresy was justification by the Mosaic Law. Now that, that is going to get, that's exactly what the Jerusalem Council was about in 48 AD. Realize in 48 AD, 48 AD already, the apostles are getting together because they themselves have started to try and figure out what do we do with Jesus' death on the cross and salvation by faith in him and coming to Christ. And then we got the circumcision and the Jew, Jew, Jewish law. What do we do about it? And it wasn't like, well, obviously it, it's passed away. Obviously you don't need to be circumcised to be a Christian obviously they couldn't figure it out they had people going different directions paul's going one direction others are going another direction and it's like okay they didn't like burn each other's churches down and separate this is we we can't break unity we've got to figure this out and they met together you've got the letter in your bible of james writing he was the head of the church in jerusalem writing letters to all the churches this is what we've decided basically it was you need to respect the jews and their traditions but there's no means of salvation through circumcision. We please be respectful of the Jews. They don't want to do this. They don't worship idols. They're concerned about blood, you know, being in meat. Be respectful. If you're going to have unity with them, you're going to have to be culturally respectful. But we're not becoming. We're not making the Gentiles Jews. They're saved by faith in Christ. And so they agreed, but yet we're very kept the peace. And an excellent job of, you know, it's your example in the scriptures of how to deal with that issue. Uh, other heretics that are coming up, and we'll spend some time on it, I want to talk about these as we go. Simon Magus was one of them, and that is exactly the guy out of the book of Acts in Samaria. He ends up in Rome. And again, now as we do this, we're going to be leaving scripture. And understand, once we leave scripture, and we're looking back 2,000 years you're going, to get, you're going to be able to pick up a lot of junk and a lot of tradition and, and, and artificial, creative stories, but yet there's also things that are written down by people with no you know, dog in the fight. Sometimes they're, they're Roman historians. Sometimes they're church historians that seem to be talking about you know, boots-on-the-ground day uh, events. And Simon... Uh, from the book of Acts, seems to continue all the way up into Rome and does dabble into some early forms of Gnosticism, but also magic, but also philosophy, and goes, what the heck? I'm going to bring in some Christianity too and cause a lot of confusion because, again, 
people are just coming into the faith and oh the the christians have done miracles jesus did miracles oh look simon's doing a miracle he must be a christian we see it today uh jesus did miracles someone's on tv or got some kind of a group somewhere they're doing miracles oh they must be christians it's like well the bible warns you just because they do a miracle don't 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 watch the miracle moses what what are they teaching if a if a prophet comes to you and does a miracle moses says and then says come let's follow other gods that's a false prophet but what about the miracle don't no listen to the words what did he say let's go this way away from the faith let's go this way that's a false prophet so again there's a place for miracles but they also are not your determination because well paul says even satan appears as an angel light then there's the nicolaitans and nicholas and the nicolaitans and they pop up in the book of revelation john talks about them we'll be able to find out about them and what they were doing and saying and teaching and they are in churches they're not we're not talking about you notice there's nothing on here about caesar worship or artemis worship or the the pagan gods that's not a heresy that's that's the world the world is going after the foreign. We're talking about those that have come into the church and are teaching falsely about the faith. We already understand the concept that the world is in darkness. So that's another whole conversation. Then comes one named Serenthus. And if you look at Serenthus, he, he lived, sometimes these numbers I've got, the dates are their lifespan. Sometimes they're the time that they are, they're active. Um, because sometimes you can figure out when they were active and sometimes you actually have their birth date and death date and so uh, to keep it accurate again i should have put more on there but it's a chart so i'm trying to keep it simple nonetheless he lived like 30 to 100 a.d and he encountered the apostles and there's even an account outside the bible by a, a viable source of john dealing with him at ephesus so john and serinthus were contemporaries not only contemporaries but teaching in the same town at the same time. And when you start seeing churches go away from John, some of them are going away with Serenthus and his teaching, which again, the people are having to decide what's the difference between John and Serenthus. Well, we, we've, it's easy for us. What's the difference between John and Serenthus? Well, John's got books in the Bible. Serenthus, I've never heard of him. And so I'm going to follow John. Where these people, they've got John standing right here, and they've got Serenthus right here. And it's like, who, who's right? And they've got to make some decisions. Um, the uh, Ebionism, which would be a form of uh, Judaism, that's where the law is going to come back in. We're going to keep moving down that bottom row right there. Doceticism is a word. Docetic means appearance or seems. Uh, it, it has to do with phantom. And that is a teaching uh, coming early, probably, and you can understand the opening of of first uh, john because sometimes these became recognized and, and on the on the radar screen uh if radar what you know they're they're, they're recognized because they've grown and become big enough that by say 115 doceticism is a force but you go back to john writing in 85 and 90 a.d and he starts writing you know the word that that was flesh that we have seen that we've heard that we've touched it walked among us Meaning, what, what, okay, we all, yeah, he walked, why is John, is he, he's, he's waxing poetic. Jesus was the word, and he was walking with us, and we touched him. Oh, yes, that fellowship. He's saying, no, 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 what he's saying is, doceticism says, 
know what would happen here. And they're explaining Christianity to the crowds. And the crowds are asking questions. How could Jesus do what he did? Well, it's easy. He wasn't a man. He wasn't limited to his physical body. See, you can't do it because you're stuck in time. Jesus was like an appearance of a man. He wasn't really human. He was a divine spirit that just put on a form like an angel and did these miraculous things like, oh, that makes sense. Now I understand. And I'm going to go to this guy's Bible study. Or this is why the church is drifting this way. Well, that's where John comes in and says, no, 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 no. That which we have heard with our ears, we've touched with our hands, we've seen and we've walked with him, that is the Son of God. In other words, what John is saying is, he was a fleshly man. He was like you and me. I touched him. I saw him eat. He, was a, he, was, he became a man. Oh, so you're saying he's not, then the, then the next one, uh, uh, oh, that's not on this one yet. But then eventually you're going to get where he's just, he's just, you know, he's God or he's just a man. And that would be adoption. Adoptionism, again, I'm, I'm getting way further deeper than I want to. Adoptionism is where he was just a Jewish man. Just like, just like Peter, just like John, just like his brothers. But God says, I am going to adopt this one. Just like David was made king, uh, Jesus is going to be adopted as, and be the son of God. Now, he's not eternal. He's not like the word, always been there, walk with Adam in the garden. He's just God. God is saying, this man, I'm going to adopt him. Like we talked about yesterday when we talked about uh, Paul describing Timothy as my true son, which means my genuine son. It's a technical term that means he is my legal son. He's my rightful heir. It's the same word we said uh, Philo used when he described what Pharaoh's daughter said about Moses. He is my genuine son. Now, she didn't give birth to him, but she adopted him. And she, as, as far as the law goes, as far as your opinion, she was the heir and he was her son. Genuine son, legal son. Everything that's mine is his. And that's what God, that's what God did with this man, Jesus. He could have done it with Peter or James. or He just says, I'm going to adopt him. Now he has my authority. Now, was he God? No. Was he eternal? No. But he was chosen by God. He was adopted by God. Well, that's not true. And again, you've got, was, here's the thing. People still ask, you go to a church today, and you say, well, describe, was Jesus God? Well, he was, he was kind of both. He was like, you've got 100%, 100% person, like 50% of him was God, and then 50% of him was man. It's like, oh, okay. And that, you, you, you've got to imagine if a youth group is answering that question, something like that's going to come up. It's like, oh, okay, he's like a little bit of God, a little bit of man. He's just, he's different than us. Okay, well, let's go ahead and do whatever we're doing at youth group. No, no, no. If he's just 50% God, then, then how, how is he like outside of time and outside the universe because he's the creator? He's out there. He's, he's got to be 100% God. Oh. Okay, so he's, he's God, so he just like looks like man. No, no, no. That's why the whole birth story, he's like born from a woman. He, he had a body. He grew up. He's like 100% man. He had flesh. He, if he didn't eat, he would have died. In fact, he got tired and slept on the boat. Uh, he was a man. I mean, they killed him. Well, did he feel it? Because he was just a spirit. No, no, he, he died like a man nailed on a cross. Well, so did he stop being God? 
No, he was still 100% God as a man, 100% dying on the cross. It's like, oh, this is spooky. This is, yes, this is the mystery of godliness that you cannot, you change this faith, you're going to just deteriorate into some pagan ritual cult that means nothing and there's no salvation. There's no power of the word of God. It's become now a heresy. And so, all those things, and, and again, you can be critical. We can stand here and be self-righteous. They've been, without defeating my, my ministry and myself as a Bible teacher, I could see myself, and again, you think about yourself, I could see myself, I would not want to see myself falling with the Nicolaitans, okay? Because they're kind of, they're, they're kind of wicked, immoral group. But I could see myself going with the justification by law. I could see myself being a docetic. Meaning it's like, ah, oh, he just appeared. Now again, not now, not with studying the Word of God, but when I'm just asking questions as a 14-year-old kid that got saved, it'd be like, what? well, it's like, oh, he just appeared. Oh, that's why he's different than me. Or adoptionism, oh, well, sure, he can't be God because he's a man. He was just adopted. God just called him his son. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Then, of course, the, the Gnostics, that's, where, that's another whole conversation. That's going to get into Greek philosophy and all kinds of things that, I mean, it's, and again, we'll talk about that to some extent because there's a guy, Irenaeus, who writes around 170, 180 A.D., writes against that, and we've got their, their writings. Uh, but it was a, a non-stop developing. They never had the faith. They never had a, see, we can take the, the faith that was once for all entrusted to us. We've got the scriptures that we consider authoritative, and from this we can build a system a system of doctrines called systematic, we, I would call it systematic theology. Meaning we can write it and you, can, you write this part about God eternal, okay? And then you have now God the Son, okay? And that should fit over here, okay? They fit together. And then, wait, wait, there's angels, okay? Here's angelology, and that fits into this category because angels aren't the Son, because angels aren't eternal, but they're created by God. They serve God, okay, and, but it all fits together. And then we got this right here. We got the creation of the physical planet, like we talked a little bit about yesterday. Well, the earth is like, the, the physical world is bad. People die. There's death. There's war. There's sin. Surely God didn't make this. Well, that's where the Nazis come in and say, well, no, he didn't. That was a different God. That was one of the, we would say, that was one of the angels made. God made everything nice over here, just kind of this little perfect place over here. Where you, and then some of his angels ran over here and go, hey, Guess what I can do? And they started making stuff. And God's like not real sure about it. They're not sure about God. And what they make don't know God because it was made by the angels. Again, I'm paraphrasing a lot of stuff. And, but this is now, uh-oh, it's like a Frankenstein. We didn't do it right. And all kinds of bad things start happening. So now you've got the bad creator gods, which are basically angels or something. And you've got the good God over here that's like, well, I wish we hadn't done that. But I'm not going to have nothing to do with it. And, and so now we got, now you're in Gnosticism, and how do you resolve? And it all makes sense because the world is bad, but God is good. But God sent Jesus. Why did he send Jesus? Well, to, now he's going to deliver people out. Of, it's like, and it's, you can't do this with it. You can't get a systematic theology. It's, got, it's always changing. And they had a series of teachers that every, they'd come through, and they'd add something to it. And the key, of course, they're, they're, they're in it for, for evil, if it be material gain, if it be a crowd. And so they're always trying to find and out-teach the other guy with greater insight and greater depth. Now they're making stuff up, and people are just writing it down and learning it. 
But Christianity, if you have the faith, and you go through the scriptures, you can build and answer these questions in a systematic way. And when I say systematic, I mean non-contradictory. Meaning when I talk about, say, eschatology and Jesus coming back, it's like, wait, that contradicts what God did in the beginning. Hmm. Now, I gotta, now you can see, I would say Jehovah Witness, Mormons, you can see them in their doctrines where they got caught in a Sunday school class, and some little boy raises his hand and says, well, yeah, but what about, they're like, hmm. And then they make something stupid up. And it's like, and now they got to put that in their doctrine. It's kind of like, and the longer they go, the dumber it gets. And if you spend any time studying a cult, uh, hopefully Christianity, if your Christianity is the faith out of Scripture and you build a systematic theology, someone may want to attack it. They may not agree with it, but it's like, hey, it's, it's consistent, because then God made man. Now man's got going to rebel. There's going to be a sin. There's going to be chaos. And who's man? Well, what did, why did man have that authority? Well, man was made in the image of God to be the ruler of this earth that was good, but man, with free will, chose rebellion, but he's in charge of the earth, and now all hell breaks loose. It's like, oh my gosh, what's he going to do? Well, there's only one way for him to fix this problem. Man can't fix it. Only God can fix it. Well, what's he going to do? Well, he's put man in charge of it. So what's, man can't fix it. He said, well, God is now going to have to become the person he put in charge of it. Who did he put in charge of it? Man. So he's got to become a man. But he can't be like the other men with a sin nature. He's got to be born a second Adam. He's got to be born of a virgin. That virgin birth is not just, oh, that's such a cute story. It's crucial. That would, I would call that, that, that would be what I'd say heresy. If Jesus is not born of a virgin, he's just like all of us. You, you just destroyed Christianity. He has to be God who's born as a man because man is in charge of the earth and man messed it up. But man messed himself up when he messed it up, so man can't fix it no matter how many global meetings we have and how, no matter how we stop global warming, global cooling, global bubbling, whatever it's doing, you're not going to fix it. it, it it's, 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 going, it's crumbling. It's falling apart. So God is going to become a man, and he's going to start by saving man first on the cross. Well, now God is dead. Well, he paid for the sins of man. Now God's resurrected. Now he's gone back to heaven. But now seated at the right hand of God is who? Well, the Son of God, right? Who? God, yeah. But who? The man, Jesus Christ. Holy smokes. Now, now you've got a man sitting on the throne of God? How can a man become God? Because he was God. He just became a man and went back to heaven as a man. And he's going to come back and fix the mess. He's going to finish. We're in process. I mean, why is there evil in the world? Because the process isn't good. The very fact you can identify, well, if I was God, I wouldn't have this evil. No, and neither is God. God is going to fix it. And so we've got what we call the faith. As we study through the scriptures, we develop the systematic theology that is what I would say airtight. Not that my systematic theology is airtight because I'm, I'm still developing. But th this is not going to collapse. Okay, so that is our foundation. And when you keep that faith, you keep unity in the church, one faith, one God, one Savior, and you have unity. 
and now you can eat your potato salad in harmony because you all agree on this. Now you can decide if you want your onions in your potato salad or not. That's not a problem. Then there are going to be some issues that are, are non-essential, but you can't change those. Okay, that's looking at that front chart very quickly. Some very exciting things across that, that diagram. I've got the emperors going very across the top. Then I've got leadership listed between those years, 60 to 110 A.D. Uh, in Jerusalem, and it goes James, Jesus' brother, then Simeon. And these are important because they, they're all, uh, many of them are more important than others because some of them actually wrote stuff down. Not that it's scripture, but it's boots on the ground. This was their account and how they dealt with it. Um, you can see the leadership in Antioch. A uh, key person there is, is Ignatius, that Evodius would be the one who followed after the apostles. In fact, they say Peter put him in charge, you know, ordained him. And he, so he's, he's now, just like Timothy is in Ephesus for Paul, like we're talking about on Sundays, Evod, 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 how do you say that, would you say? I try, I've tried to do some pronunciation things before I start talking. Evodius? Evodius? Okay, very good. Evodius would be like Peter's Timothy or you know, one of the apostles, and he would have been the one who was left in charge of Antioch. He's followed by Ignatius. Ignatius is going to be ex executed uh, under Trajan in, in, in uh, one, right around 117. Um, but he, on his way to Rome, he's going to write seven letters to churches on his way through Asia. He's going to meet with, and he's friends with Polycarp and Papias, and Polycarp, Papias, and Ignatius all had been trained by John. When John is sending out, in 2nd and 3rd John is sending out teachers and they're coming back to him, these guys were in that group at some level. Now, we don't have them on this chart here, but then you're going to have a guy coming around 170 on the next chart, which would be like, you know, seven months from now. Uh, Irenaeus, who remembers listening to Polycarp, and he would have known these guys, but all these Ignatius, Papias, and Polycarp in Smyrna, uh, Heropolis, which is right there by Ephesus and Laodicea, and Ignatius, which is in Antioch, uh, or he's at in Antioch, um, they all would have known, not just John, they would have known Peter, they would have known the apostles, they would have known Philip, and it comes up often, Philip's daughters. Philip's daughters are mentioned in Scripture, but they also moved with Philip to Ephesus, or, excuse me, into Asia Minor, uh, I think it's Heropolis, I think, and I have to double-check that. But they were all part of the church, and they would have testimony to what they saw their father do and what they would have remembered, you know, the teaching stuff. So all these guys are eyewitnesses of not necessarily the Lord, but of those who heard the Lord. So they're, they're going to be holding to the faith and avoiding heresy. Meanwhile, things are coming up uh, that are contrary. Uh, look at the Rome. Uh, Linus, that he's mentioned in uh, Philippians. Paul, when he writes the Philippians, mentions Linus. Also, Clement is mentioned. When, when Paul talks about Clement, he's, he's mentioned. And so both Clement and Linus knew Paul, probably Peter. And be in between them is Anacletus. And so I don't know for sure, but I would assume he is also connected to, some say that, Linus and Anacletus were both set in place and trained and anointed or ordained by Peter, uh, so they would have known him too. But nonetheless, uh, there's many things there. Okay, turn the page. Finally, here we go. Heresy. These are a bunch of words. Uh, 
I'll try and run through this very quickly. Heresy is the Greek word uh, heres, which means basically it means choice. Now, before we begin any, before we begin, before we go any further, I'm still in my in my mind. I'm still in the first three minutes of introducing introducing the class before we get into this. It's a, it's it, the mind is a strange thing up here. Uh, heresy is negative. This is very negative. You don't want to be a heres, heresy, a heretic, or be in heresy. But heresy, it basically means a choice. And we all make choices. And so it, it just means, it, and it refers to philosophy. Uh, it's like a philosophical thought. Which philosophical school are you in? Uh, the, theoretically, we could say, uh, what political party have you chosen to affiliate with? Assuming that they're all neutral. I know this is a hot topic right now. But if you, you choose one or the other, it's, it's your choice. You're all Americans, but which party have you chosen? You, you've made a choice. It'd be, and for example, you can see it being used that way. I, I say in classical Greek, it could be a good or bad choice. It could refer to such things as a Hellenistic heresy, which would mean merely that you had a Greek way of thinking, you had a Greek way of acting, you associated with the group that is known as the Greeks, the Hellenistic Greeks. This is the way you wore those clothes, you talked this way, this was, you were in that sect or that, and that's what it's going to be translated as, that her heresy. Now, uh, it's used in Scripture to refer to, it's used in Scripture, this very word, heresy, or the Greek word you see there, heresy, is used of the Jewish sects called the Pharisees. Now, when I say sects, I'm not saying S-E-X like sex. I'm talking about sex like with a C, with a S-E-C-T-S, -S, the groups. And the Pharisees were named as a sect, or the Sadducees, or the Essenes. And that word that's translated sex is the word the Greek word heresy is the choice. Are you going to be a Sadducee? Are you going to be a Pharisee? Or are you going to leave and go live with the, the Essenes? But there's another sect developing. It's the sect of the Nazareans. Nazareans, that's the people that follow the man from Nazareth that last, that the sect was identified for a little bit, but soon became known. It's morphed into the group called Christians. But it's both identified as the Nazareans or the Christians are also sects or Heresy. So at first, it's just, oh, our, what choice are you making? Uh, there's Hebrew word right there. It, the word men refers to Jewish sex. Uh, here's some uses of it that, that you, I refer to it because once, here's the point of it. Once you make a choice, once you make a choice, you've made a separation. You've made a division. For once I say I am a Republican, I've separated from the rest of the Americans that identify as a Democrat. Now again, in a pure sense, it's not wrong. I've just went one way. And so when you make a choice, you've caused a division. Now if this division is you are in the faith, the faith that is unified, the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, and now you're going to make a choice different than the faith, you've caused a division. And these are here, this is that pops up in your New Testament. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 11, 18 through 29. Paul writes, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. You're coming together as a church, but what I hear is you're not all unified. Now, he's not like divisions. Some people like to wear blue. Some people like to wear red. Some people, you know, they want to go to the soccer game. Some people are more, they're arguing about the football team. Some people are Lions fans. Some people are, it's like, no, they come together in the faith, 
and there are divisions. You, you're, all not, you're not even all Christians, or you're not even all agreeing on the doctrine. For in the first place, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be, watch, there must be factions. And notice the word underlying factions is the word in the Greek, heresies. There must be heresies among you. Because why? In order that those who are genuine, one, genuine among you may be recognized. Meaning, there's, okay, you've got this group of people that all say they're Christians. How many of you think Jesus is eternal God and man? Okay, how many of you think he's just a, a, an appearance like a spirit that he's not really fit? Okay, there. These guys, you can all leave, or you can all join a Sunday school class and learn the truth. But now you've got a false doctrine, and so now you've been approved, you've been rejected. So when we start making decisions on the faith, you start reading your Bible, you start spouting your mouth off saying, here's what I believe. Again, there's room for ignorance. Well, here's what I believe. Here's what I understand. And then, well, Apollo. You wonder about Apollo and what he was teaching when he came out of Alexandria, Egypt. He came out, Apollo came out of Alexandria, Egypt to Ephesus and met Aquila and Priscilla. And it says they took him aside and more adequately explained the way to him. And he goes, oh, and then they released him as a teacher. And he ends up in Corinth teaching and doing a great job and becoming one of Paul's partners. But when he came out of Alexandria, Egypt, and was explaining Christianity, Aquila and Priscilla apparently says, come here. Because what was, was he, was he into some doceticism? Was he into some kind of Judaism? Was he mixing it in with Alexandria, the, the, like Philo's teaching with, with legends and stories and genealogy? What, I, I don't know what it was, but I'm saying when Apollo came out of, you don't see it say, and Paul met Aquila and Priscilla, and he took them aside and taught them more accurately. You don't hear that. They came, and they all agreed. They're all teaching, working together. But when Apollo shows up, they take him over here, and it's like have a little you know, private session with him and explain. And they didn't rebuke him. They let him come back and start teaching again. But he apparently was ignorant on something. But nonetheless... That was in Corinth. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And there it is. That's the word heresies. Factions, choices, or opinions. There's going to be factions or choices. You're going to be bringing in divisions into the faith. Uh, 2 Peter 2, 1. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. He says the Old Testament dealt with false prophets. What you're going to be looking at as a church is you've got the faith, the truth that was once for all entrusted to the saints. There's going to be teachers, false teachers come in and give you choices, destructive choices. For example, not, not, not to be too redundant, but Jesus is eternal God, took on flesh and became a man and died physically on the cross for the sins of the world. Now there's going to be false teachers come in with choices, destructive choices. Well, some people say that, but really, he wasn't God. How is that possible? Doesn't it make more sense that he was just a Jewish man that was more righteous than everyone, that God says, I can use you. I will adopt you as my son, and you will be the sacrifice for Israel. Now, does that not make more sense? 
Peter says, no, no, that's a destructive, that's a destructive choice. You choose that, you have no salvation. A man, a fallen man can't die, for, a fallen man can't save us. I mean, you can't, it's obvious as we go here. Okay, but Paul's using that word in 2 Peter. Titus 3.10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now, if you read that in a church setting, especially since Titus is a pastoral epistle, and it's how to run a church and how to organize a church. As for a person who stirs up division, you're at the potluck, and you're sitting around, and you're saying, you know, I hate the Hawkeyes. I think the Hawkeyes. And everybody at the table's an Iowa State fan. It's like, whoa, whoa, you, let's talk about something else. Okay, well, who'd you caucus for? Well, I caucus for, it's like, well, you know, I think, it, it, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, this guy's just not got very many social skills. He's just causing division. Calm side, listen, you can't be talking about the Hawkeyes or politics at the potluck. We just talk about our little kids' baseball games and, and, and who's died and, 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 you know, who got flowers at the funeral. We don't talk about anything. Don't upset people. That's not what that, no. It As for a person who stirs up division, talking about the Hawkeyes or the Iowa caucus, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. No, cause it comes in with division. Once for all, you're in the church. We're not talking about potlucks. We're talking about in the church, the faith, once for all, they come in and they start presenting divisions. Apollo, did Apollos uh, bring in, again, not being critical of Apollos, and I'm reading into the story, you know, when he came out of Alexandria, Egypt, they, uh, Aquila and Priscilla warned him once. Jesus was a real man. You do not have to become circumcised like the Jews to be a Christian. And they gave him scriptural evidence, and they gave him the testimony of Jesus, and they explained what Paul taught and what Peter taught. All the apostles teach this. And he goes, oh, I didn't know. Okay, well, stay in the group. So they warned him once. If he'd gone back and says, like, like Peter, had to be corrected by Paul at Galatia, because Peter was starting to go with the circumcision group. And, and then and Apollos goes, well, you know, some people have warned me not to teach that you must be saved, but it's more important to me that you understand the truth, that you must be circumcised if you can accept Jesus. If Jesus has been circumcising people for all these years, you've got to get circumcised today. It's like, Apollo, we t- listen, you can't be teaching this stuff. And he doesn't, it's like, okay, you're gone. You, you can't teach anymore. And that is the concept there. As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. His own doctrine condemns him that he is not saved and doesn't know the truth. If you cannot wrap your mind around it once it's been explained and you continue to go down a heretical road, it's like, well, you, you, you went through the ritual, you went through the baptism, but you don't believe this. You, you can't, what you believe is not a message of salvation. If Jesus isn't man, then there's no salvation. Well, that's what I believe. You can believe it, but you can't believe it here, and you're self-condemned. You're, you have no salvation. Um, so these are choices that cause division, and, and also mentioned in Jude one nineteen. False teachers and heretics are described in Jude one nineteen. And this is, when we read through this, you kind of, you read through, it's like they cause divisions among you. Well, here it is. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, the void of the Spirit, and uh, meaning they are doing that very same thing. Many more things to talk about here. 
Uh, one thing I'll, I'll point out just in the notes so you can see them on the very back page because I took time to, I, I cut and pasted these right out of the framework book so they're not nothing I did special. Um, but on page 10, these are all the heresies of, of the church going through the ages. You've got Ebionism, Gnosticism, and Montan Montanism, which is going to be fun to look at. It's like an early charismatic movement. Uh, page 11, uh, Manichaeanism, which is again a form of Gnostics. Uh, then they've got to start, then you've got labeled right there on page 11. See, listen, they're, they're around, now the Trinity is in the Bible. You can see the verses. But imagine asking someone to explain the Trinity in 50 AD or 90 AD. Who knows? You know, I'm sure Peter could have done it. I think Paul handled it fine. But imagine as you get down the road and people start explaining the Trinity, well, they're going to have a variety of models, and we'll go through those very quickly. And each of these is a heresy. You're going to have uh, the modelists, the, I can't even say the words, the Patripisianisms, and basically you can, we'll go through those. But they're like, they're three separate people, or they're just one God appearing in three different forms. It's kind of like, I've even heard it recently. It's like the, the whole Holy Spirit is like, uh, is like water. It can be frozen. It can be liquid. It can be, it can be steam. It's like, well, that's the same elements. It's, the, it's, it's like that's, that's good. Just like uh, Patrick used the clover. It's one plant but got three leaves. It's like that's the big symbol of St. Patrick in Ireland. It's like, okay, that's, that's good. Uh, but be careful because you've got a person, God, the Father, who's separate from God the Son, but they're both God. Or now, now you just entered the mystery for a phase. And then you got the Holy Spirit, who's also God, but is not the Son, and is not the Father, completely different. And they can communicate, they can talk. They're all, the, they're all three different persons, but the same. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. It's, it's a mystery. And so people are trying to explain this here, and, and that's the Trinitarian debates, or and, and, and there's others going up through there, going all the way up through the 400s. And we'll, we'll get through all those, and you may be thinking, oh boy, that doesn't sound like fun at all. Okay, um, I'll, I'll try and move through it quicker. Uh, but anyway, I think it's important to kind of see where we're at, because the issue right now of the night, the faith was once for all entrusted to the saints. Heresies broke out as they ca started causing divisions, but we didn't all start in a bunch of divisions and then forced into unity unity came unity is in the message and so that's kind of a good place to start uh, i'll pray and we're free to go and i'll answer questions and you can you know if you want to complain you certainly can say let's move faster or something father do thank you for the chance to look into these things we thank you for the text of scripture that we have and the church history that we have we ask that we would use it diligently that we'd ev evaluate our own lives and then walk in grace and walk in peace as we try to bring people, including ourselves, into the truth, the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, that we would embrace it fully and grow in our understanding. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.